hey, Hello. hey. This is Death is Everything with Heather, and I'm looking at Marianne. That's me. She is doing accounting things by day <laughs> and being fierce by night. Yeah, I mean, I'll get back to accounting. I am sort of accounting for things, other people's money, not my own, unfortunately. Well, you know, it's just nice to touch money once in a while. How are you? Good. Good. Excited. Ready to talk about rotting and such. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, yeah, me too. All right. Well... Today, we're going to be talking about decomposition and things related to that. And yeah, so so guess we get into it. I'm ready. I got most of my information from the forensic library, all that's interesting, and how stuff works. So they're great websites if you want to learn about things dying. (laughs) Okay, so forensic anthropology is a study and analysis of human remains for the purpose of assisting a criminal investigation. Forensic anthropologists provide information about the origin and identity of a body and the time of its death. Forensics has many different branches. Forensic entomology, which is the study of insect evidence, and odontology, analysis of dental evidence. Interesting. Hey, you just went to the dentist. I know. And they took a piece of me, a little piece of my tooth. Well, probably a good chunk of my tooth. Take another little piece of my tooth now, baby. Was it already decomposing? (laughs) Yeah, your teeth are rotting out. Sorry. <laughs> they won't find all of my teeth if I ever get... Well, they'll know you by your crown. Oh, that's right. So they'll look at the mouth and be like, this is Marianne... <laughs> oh, right now. Am I supposed to say your last It's okay. They, you can take it out. <laughs> my favorite tooth is the one with a crown on it. It's all smooth and is fancy. It, is it's, it golden? No, it's, if it's I, porcelain. If I get a grill, is that a better identifier? Because I... I am interested. I don't think they're permanent. This oh, maybe, they're just caps? I think it's just like I don't a, know enough about grills, and oh, I really no. want one. It, I just don't know if it would suit me. Like H, like star? What, <laughs> what would you get? Have, like, like, little emblems inside? Diamonds? Like a, ooh, diamonds. I know someone who uh, has got a, a diamond, diamond put on their tooth. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like the dentist as it is, though, so I imagine I probably wouldn't want to add diamonds. Yeah. Anyways. I got enough dental problems. <laughs> right? I don't know if putting a, like, gold-plated grill on top of my teeth is going to make it any better. <laughs> All right. Well, when a body is discovered, a forensic anthropologist is summoned to the crime scene to help find and collect the human remains. It's not always as simple as it sounds. There may be two bodies tangled together in a shallow grave, or the body may be located among animal bones left by hunters. The forensic anthropologist will separate the bones from other matter, take them back to a lab, clean them, and examine them. Analysis is complicated by countless factors. For instance, trauma to a bone may have been caused by a struggle with a killer, or it could just be the result of a childhood accident. A forensic examination of the body can help determine which may be the cause. They also provide court testimony about their findings, reaffirming for the record their professional opinion on the identity or profile of the individual and the presence of bone or skull trauma. So the forensic anthropologist essentially looks at the decomposition levels to determine what happened. Also damage to the bones. Mm -hmm. They're like putting the puzzle together backwards. Yeah, it's 
it's pretty fun. Like, I, I think I would want to be a forensic anthropologist. However, it's got to be pretty heavy. Oh, yeah. Especially, like, when you find children and you're supposed to, you know, determine cause of death. Oh, that reminds me of my case from the 1930s, but we'll talk about that later. Ooh. Exciting. <laughs> so... Let's talk about the birth of body farms. Okay. How much do you know about body farms? Um, most of what I know is from listening to MFM. <laughs> okay. And I just found it pretty interesting. Well, all I know is they take donated bodies. Like, so I guess people who've maybe donated for science. Mm-hmm. And then they put them in various states, you know, like with a tarp, without a tarp. Marianne? Outside. Oh. I'm throwing oh, all my I, research oh, away. Oh, oh. <laughs> Just kidding. Her, pa- her papers are everywhere. You are exactly <laughs> right. But let's talk about it a little more. Okay, so before the advent of body farms in the early 1970s, forensic scientists consulting on criminal cases had to rely on research that was conducted largely on the carcasses of pigs. So pigs, are, their anatomy is very similar. similar. Well, the physiology is similar to humans more so than other animals. So it makes them a good body to research. And still, um, there's other places that still do this today. They, you know, they use the science based on pigs. They utilize that research because they don't have body farms. And so it's still used today, that, uh, that method. Interesting. <laughs> We're having a, a canine invasion here. Yeah, you can't Zoe see wants these people, to sit, but... Zoe wants to sit on every piece of paper. Zoe is a... Very adorable dog. Uh, who I just is a brat. <laughs> I just noticed her collar has skulls on it. She's like definitely <laughs> trying to get to me. I'm She's like, our little no, mascot. I love you. Get away from me. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I love her collar. Can you sit? Thank you. Okay. Tell me about the body farms. Okay. What'd well, in 1972, a man named Dr. William Bass radically altered the field of forensic when he founded the very first body farm at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. Interesting. Okay, so he came up with this idea for body farms around the time he was asked to consult a local case. This is pretty interesting. I like how that he got into this. The police had noticed that the Civil War era grave of Colonial William Shy had been recently disturbed and the corpse inside looked surprisingly fresh. They suspected that someone had recently been murdered and then placed in this old grave in order to cover up the crime. Ooh. Yeah, so they thought it was a recent body, less than a year old, thrown into this old grave. Yeah, they were like, somebody's trying to cover their murder. Yeah. That's actually a great idea. Don't get any advice from <laughs> us, but that is a great idea. Um, but yeah, so he was wrong. Further analysis of the dead man's teeth and clothes showed that this was indeed William Shy. His body was preserved thanks to embalming and a tightly sealed iron casket. So if you want your body to remain uh. intact for a very long time, spend a little extra cash. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Do you think it was airtight? Well, it says tightly sealed. Whether it was airtight... Who knows? I yeah. don't know. It probably was. It might I be mean, cold, too, if it's under the iron. ground and in yeah. iron. Definitely. It's like a refrigerator. But that's so weird to think about. I mean, like, this guy's body is, like, so old. Well, <laughs> and they thought it was less than a year old. Yeah. So it was very well preserved. So considering that Bass was off by more than 100 years, he knew that much more study was needed on the topic of human decomposition. Body farms were the 
answer. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Farm those bodies. Farm them. <laughs> That's a really interesting thing. Like, part of me is like, would I want my body to be donated? You know what? After reading this, I'm pretty sure I want my body to be donated to science. Interesting. Well, and then there's also the, like... What about donating organs? I want to do that too. Can you like (laughs) say, you know, take what you can and then the rest of it, give it to the body farm? I guess you maybe don't get to choose. Like I imagine you can choose like, I want to donate it to this group studying forensics or, or studying cancer or studying, you know, whatever. Oh, for sure. But I'm curious about that. But then you see those stories where people donate their organs and then it saved like their son and then like. The families meet the son. They're like, oh, I can feel his presence in you. And you're like, okay, that's not creepy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're like, come wear my little boy's outfit. But, you know. (laughs) Grief is fucking complicated. Yeah, that would be hard. Heather, I want you to wear my mom's clothes. I don't have any of her organs. I just have some of her shoes. Oh. You know what? That's the best kind of living. (laughs) Through their shoes. shoes. Yeah, actually it is. (laughs) Body farms allow scientists to study the natural decay of the human body, as well as how a decomposing body affects the world around it. For instance, entire insect populations will rise or fall based on the presence of a corpse. A decaying body will even affect surrounding vegetation, killing off some of the flora with digestive enzymes. Interesting. I've heard that only certain types of plants grow Mm -hmm. above where a body is buried, which is like how they can find people. Or there will be like a patch of grass and then no grass in one area because your body... You know, doesn't allow that stuff to grow naturally. Interesting. So that's huh. a whole nother field of study. Yeah. Well, you know, I listen to a shit ton of true crime stuff and I'm always mesmerized by like there are stories of people who just find like they're looking for someone and they find it in a in a fucking huge field or like in the mountains. And I've always wondered how is it that they know where to look or or maybe, like, say their cell phone pings off a certain area so they have, like, their last Radius, known whereabouts. Yeah. But then I'm curious about what clues to look for. Like, I want to be in the search party. Well, we can get into that in another episode. Okay. How to find dead bodies. Ooh. <laughs> and, and this is how we go hiking. We're just, out, <laughs> we're just out looking for people. We got, like, miner's lamps on our heads and shovels. And we're like. <laughs> I mean, we're in L.A., so. I'm sure there's bodies everywhere. Not too far into the forest. There's probably bodies across the street. I mean, oh, really. yeah. You know the Hillside Strangler lived off Colorado right oh, here. Oh, shit. Really? Yeah, Holy pretty close. Shit. Like, probably less than two miles away from me. <gasps> oh, now everyone knows where we are. Glendale? <laughs> <laughs> Forensic anthropologists can determine an individual's age, sex, race, and body type by looking at the corpse's bones. Now, I don't have all the information about each individual factor for finding all of these things, yeah. but I'll give you a few. Males' bones are usually larger um, compared to women's. And where their muscles connect on the bones, Mm -hmm. they're also larger. The pelvic bone is obviously different. The size of the pelvic inlet, which is the inside 
space of the pelvic bone is larger in women to aid the birthing process. Oh. You know, it's got to let a baby yeah, out. Yeah. Men don't have to do anything regarding Lucky that. Lucky so. sons of bitches. <laughs> we don't even have kids, so I, I don't know I if know. we have the right to complain. Well, but. sure. I mean, why not? Why not? Because we have guys. the option to do it, so we're going to complain about it. Yeah. The skulls also offer clues to facilitate sex determination. Males tend to have backward slanting foreheads, while women have rounder foreheads. Females' chins often come to a point. Male chins are generally more squared off. Wow. Um, Ribs can be helpful to determine factor of age. As we get older, the ends of our ribs become more ragged and less flat where they meet the cartilage that connects to the sternum. Therefore, the more ragged the ribs the older the body. You mean in the front? Yes, where the cartilage... The, so the sternum's here, uh, and then there's cartilage connecting. Okay, yeah. so so in like and an image of a skeleton, the front looks kind of open. It looks like... Yeah. like well, it, you have free-floating ribs, and then you have like the cartilage connects them, but... Oh, yeah, so, so yeah, it's like a little butterfly in the middle of exactly, cartilage exactly. or something. Because I did take CPR and I remember them showing us like how to find the sternum. Yeah. But. And then you got to crack some ribs. Yeah. That's how you do it. That's like in my nightmare. Got to get that blood pumping. Like, am I going to break you or are you going to. Hey, it's either crack ribs or that person dies. Yeah. So there you go. You kind of got to, you know. Save someone choking on a piece of pork belly one day. And That's the Heimlich. Don't give them CPR. <laughs> oh, wait. See, fuck. I'm already. I'm already. You're getting. Yeah. Making Maybe them we confused. Take a class about this. Well, I take one every year, so oh, good. I have to. But well, I'll invite you, thanks. or I'll just give you my notes. Isn't it wonderful that they have nurses like review? <laughs> I mean, I'm it over is, here like I'm in. It is, but it's kind of bullshit, too. I mean, you can only take that class so many times before you have it memorized, and then it's, like, just a waste of a few hours out of your day. So it's just, I don't know. I mean, they change regulations and procedures, but for the most part, it stays the same. Like, it used to be where the main focus was, like, breathing into someone's mouth, and then, um, like, it was ABC, airway breathing compressions. But now, oh, shit. Maybe I do need the it's, class. Now it's, it's CAB. Yeah, now it's CAB. It's, like, it's compressions first because it's more important to get the blood flowing rather than giving them breaths. Yeah, I, I read something that said once you get that heart going, your body automatically, like, tries to jumpstart. <laughs> it's good that I'm in accounting and not Yeah, you know, and I might be wrong, and lives. I'm a nurse, so that's scary. Oh, shit. Ooh. Well, luckily I'm you're pretty not sure I'm right. ER. I mean, I know how to do CPR. I've done it a million <laughs> times, but when I'm trying to explain it, Who knows if it comes out right. When determining the race of a deceased individual, forensic anthropologists seek to place the body in one of three broad groups, African, Asian, or European. This isn't an easy task, they say. Most differences are found in the skull. The distance between the eyes or the shape of the teeth help determine ethnicity, as well as more specific genetic background, such as commonalities found in people from certain parts of Asia that other Asians do not share. Once age, sex, ethnicity have been determined, combined with bone measurements, it can be used to determine an individual's approximate pre-death height and weight. Hmm. Yeah. So more about the body farm. Cool. Tell me, tell me more. So the researchers will deposit the body in a specific location according to the kind of research they seek to do. 
Sometimes bodies are left in the open sun to observe the effects of that, other times in the shade or in high grass and so on. Researchers sometimes place bodies under cages to prevent opportunistic creatures like vultures from interfering. But bodies might also be left out so that that kind of stuff can happen and they can observe that too. Researchers might position the bodies in specific places, the kinds of places where police might find a body in real life homicide cases. Now, I love this part. For example, corpses on body farms might be left in water tanks, tied to trees, or even placed in car trunks. So that way they can get an idea of when there's a homicide case, they have something to compare it to. Yeah. What That's fun, right? Yeah. I, yeah. It's so trippy to think about. I mean, it's sad that it's necessary because right. obviously there's enough murder that they have to like figure out how to find. There's enough people in trunks that they got to put people in trunks to study. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, God damn it. Like, yeah. how do you not end up in a fucking trunk in I the know. first place? I would like to be tied to a tree if I donated my body. Oh. I'd be like, can I, can I offer I have that? A, I have a special request. <laughs> I want to be tied to a tree. Dance at my funeral. I love tie nature. Tie my corpse to a tree. <laughs> Call it a day. Take and notes. Also, there's a weather station that monitors all relevant factors, including temperature, humidity, and so on, while researchers monitor the body's decomposition closely. So that way they get an idea of the temperature and the humidity while these bodies are decomposing to give more accurate results. If you want to donate your body to a forensic anthropology facility, you should make arrangements with the body farm of your choice before you die, not after. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well, or, yeah, something I have learned recently and I am all about is pre-planning for your eventual death, which we'll get into yeah. future episodes. I mean, we'll- we could die tomorrow and then the body farm of my choice won't know that I want to be there. Right, exactly. So you got to write it down and put it somewhere that someone will find it. I'm going to put it in my diary. I think in your wallet might I don't, be a good I don't idea. have a diary. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm going to buy a diary so I can put it in there. I've never heard of this diary <laughs> shit. <laughs> uh, I'll put it in a blog. How about that? Like, <laughs> the no, world no. can see. We'll make a little like a business card and it'll say like, put me in a body farm. This is what I want when I tie die. me to a tree. Yeah. Or like, you know how you have a donor thing on your mm-hmm. driver's license? Body oh, farm. I'm having thing. a genius idea right now. It's coming in. So you'll have like an ID card that's like a, a, in case of emergency card that you carry with you. And it's like, in case of death, I suppose like when I die, this is what I want. And you just like have different stamps that mean different things. And Yeah. Yep. yep. I'm down for that. Yep. Or you can get like a, you know how they have diabetic bracelets? Yeah. Except it says, put me in a body farm. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> we might be completely insane. It's hard to say. I'm not sure. But if you do want to do that, which is a great idea. I mean, science is awesome. Yeah. You should also tell your family members, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a, it's probably uh, a good idea. Give them a decent heads up. Like, yeah. okay, just so you know, when I'm gone, I'm going straight to the body farm. None of this cremation. None of this no. embalming. Yeah. And if you don't have a family, I'm sorry. You have us. But yeah, we'll be you can family. also tell an attorney. Oh, speaking of... Uh, a few months ago, and they do this periodically in Los Angeles, they have funerals for unclaimed bodies. Really? Yeah, we need to we need to go to that because there's a lot of 
bodies found. I would be so down. And they don't know who. Like, Just to be unclaimed. like, peace out, friends. You also can we are sponsor. You can sponsor unclaimed bodies and help pay for funeral expenses and stuff. Yeah, I know. That might be a I don't have enough. If I had more money, I would consider it. Yeah. However, I live in Glendale. So <laughs> there you go. I am also broke. I live with my family. So <laughs> there you well, have it. There you have it. Maybe one day when we're both We'll go rich. to the funeral and we'll <laughs> aspire to uh, sponsor corpses. We'll bring them some flowers. How about that? Does yeah. that is that help? Yeah. It's like it's like my friend has a, a heifer through this heifer foundation. They sponsor a livestock to feed people, and I'm over here like I sponsor corpses <laughs> to get properly buried. Well, it's a nice thing to do for people who don't. If they're unclaimed, that's a nice thing to do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's awful. I would never want to be unclaimed. Well. Well. You talk to a lot of people. (laughs) How about some better news? Okay. Okay. It's going to get real dark real quick. Oh. And it'll get a little better. Well, I mean, it is a podcast. (laughs) Okay. Here is the the cold case in the 1930s that I mentioned earlier. Ooh, I'm so like... So this is how yeah, forensic anthropology has helped us oh, in cool. many cases. Cool. But here's one example. Forensic anthropology can help cold cases. In 1933, a body of a seven-year-old, Dalbert Apotian, sorry if I pronounced that wrong, Dalbert, was found floating in San Diego Bay. After examining the body, an autopsy surgeon declared that it had been sodomized and mutilated. Oh. No one was ever arrested for the crime. Uh-huh. In September 2005, the San Diego County Crime Lab received funds to reopen this cold case. After re-examining reports and pictures taken during the initial investigation, the medical examiner's office determined that the young man simply drowned. The original report that said he was sexually assaulted and mutilated was actually a misunderstanding of how a body reacts to water. So I thought that was great because it just shows you how far we've come yeah. in science. Because... I'm like, when I first read that, I was like, he was sodomized, that poor baby. Yeah. And then he, I mean, he drowned. So that's still sad, but at least he wasn't sodomized. Yeah. I feel like I sound like such an awful person also, on this podcast. No, it's fine. I mean, you know, people will judge us and fuck those people. Fuck you people. You judge. I swear I'm a good judgy person. <laughs> well, sweet. So... <laughs> I'm sorry. I am too an asshole. Uh, so they thought he was sodomized. And mutilated. But he wasn't. So he just drowned. It was just the water conditions that... Don't ask me how I, they thought he was sodomized. They just I'm didn't like, have enough research What at does the time. water do to the butthole? <laughs> uh, you know what? That's what? a good question. Maybe it makes it all pruney. Oh. Like how it does to your fingertips after you've been in there for a while. Oh, or maybe man. it has to do with like wildlife in the water. I don't know. Huh. Wildlife? Would you call it wildlife in wildlife. the water? Wildlife in the water. Is, is a fi- I'm, I'm on like two hours of sleep, everybody. <laughs> it's a party over here. Is... Someone, my husband likes to say, is a fish's asshole watertight? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't actually. I would imagine so. He's like, you know, instead of saying yes, he's like, is a fish's asshole watertight? And I'm just like. Oh, so. Do you know for a fact that it is? Is that why you're saying it? Hmm. I question everything. So then when you die, your fluids stop, your heart stops pumping things through your body. 
Yes. And there's a process that begins. What exactly is that process? Well, the process happens pretty immediately after death, within a couple minutes of your heart shutting down. Yeah. So there's five stages. The first stage of decomposition is called fresh stage, which happens within one to two days. The stage begins almost instantly, like I said. The body's cells are deprived of oxygen and pH changes occur. Cells gradually lose their structural integrity and begin to break down, releasing cellular enzymes which break down cells and tissues in the process known as autolysis or autolysis, depending on your accent. Oh, I was um, I was looking on this like death facts website, and mm-hmm. they were saying that the enzymes you digest your food with then like start digest eating. you. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what happens, <gasps> which is fun as long as your cat doesn't start eating your face. Oh, <laughs> death by animals coming soon. Well, I mean, already dead from a and, podcast and, near you called Death Is Everything. Animal dinner. <laughs> Dinner after dinner. Yeah, well. (laughs) (laughs) After dinner. Uh, Instead of donating your body to science, you can just be fed to cats. Donate it to cats. Why do they eat the food? Do dogs do that too? Yes, they do. I'm looking at your dog here. Yeah, she's sweet, but she will definitely eat my face. Is she looking at me because she wants to eat my face? Probably. She was trying to get in my mouth earlier. It was a little. Yeah, because she wants to eat your face. (laughs) There will be no obvious signs of decomposition. However, internally, bacteria within the gastrointestinal tract begin to digest the soft tissue and organs. Oh. Exactly what you just said. Oh, shit. Throughout this stage, certain early postmortem indicators may begin to occur, such as liver mortis, which is pulling blood in the body. So oh. a, a little bit more about liver mortis. Have you ever heard of that or um, lividity? I know, but I have an idea of what it kind of looks like. Okay. Um, Did you see – have you seen that before? mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it looks like bruising kind of. Yeah, exactly. Like – but all at the base of the body. Yeah, so a lot of, I guess, forensic anthropologists, people who are uh, investigating a crime, let's say they find a body in the woods and the body's laying on its back. Yeah. But there's that discoloration on – their side, maybe on their front, they know that that body wasn't killed and left there in that in that way. Like they can tell if it was placed in a trunk because it was sitting down that side after death for a long time. Right. So the Things bruising like or the pooling yeah. of all of those fluids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so liver mortis will begin rigor mortis, which is stiffening of the muscles. Algor mortis is the body temperature reduction. So you get cold, you get stiff, and your body pulls to the bottom of your, did I say body pulls? Your blood, blood pulls. Pool, yeah. Did I say body pulls? Yeah. All right. We can leave that in. That's fun. Sure. <laughs> Your body pulls. Someone wants to go swimming. <laughs> I uh, do. <laughs> uh, interesting. Well, one of the things I recently learned about rigor mortis is that it's not constant. It's not like once you're stiff, you're no. You'll relax. You're stiff. Yes. So it's. It's like a phase your body goes in and out of. And the other thing I learned is that the process, like these cycles that the body goes through, 
are slower or faster depending on like the environment. The environment, the humidity, the temperature, um, the conditions the body was left in, how the person died, um, whether it was placed in water. There's many factors. What insects are nearby? What vultures are nearby? Is it outside? Yeah. Right. There's so many. Is it in the desert? You know? Yeah. Many things. Very interesting. Many things. But that's why they have these body farms. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. Um, also what's interesting about rigor mortis is when your muscles contract, you use energy to release. That's like the physiology. There's a whole chemical molecule thing. I'm not going to go into it, but, but basically when you, when you contract, it's less energy than relaxing. When you relax, it requires energy. What happens is your body doesn't have the energy to relax Mm. anymore. And that's the first stage. The second stage is bloated. And that happens two to six days after death. Um, This stage includes the first visible signs of decay. It is the inflation of the abdomen due to buildup of various gases produced by bacteria inside the cadaver. This bloating is particularly visible around the tongue, eyes, and the buildup of gases cause them to protrude. The skin Mm. may exhibit a certain color change, taking on a marbled appearance due to transformation in hemoglobin and the blood into other pigments. So those little oxygen bubbles in your blood flow through and kind of move things around and it like your skin gets pale and your veins are more visible. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. From Something like a like zombie that. I mean, I've never seen a body in two to six days. I've only seen dead bodies immediately after death. Okay. So, I I mean, we can look at pictures. Yeah. But yeah. I'm not I, – I haven't seen that. I can't remember where I heard this. Probably on a podcast or reading morbid articles as I have been known to do that there was an embalmer or a funeral person uh, at work at the morgue and a body inside of the refrigerator drawer released gases and it made the sound like, oh. Oh, yeah. They can do that. And I was just like, oh, I would freak the fuck out if I heard that. I'd be like, it's happening. It's the zombie apocalypse. (laughs) We got to double tap all these bodies in here and just – continue down to wherever. Yeah, I don't, you know, I I used to think I could be a mortician, but a lot of freaky stuff happens. Yeah. I don't want to be haunted by those people that I'm (laughs) cutting open. (laughs) After the bloated stage is decay, which is 5 to 11 days. And what I'm reading is a body that hasn't been touched, obviously. Okay. It hasn't been embalmed or anything like that. So oh, just right. in case somebody misunderstands. Oh, right. Because embalming is like essentially preserving, changing that process or stopping Oh, yeah. Or, so, yeah. Or slowing it. Yeah. We'll have to do some research on that one. All right. Next is decay. This happens five to 11 days. The previously inflated carcass now deflates and putrid internal gases are released. As the tissue breaks down, the corpse will appear wet and strong. Odors are very noticeable. Strong odors. Yeah. So this is when it starts to get stinky. Oh. Various compounds contribute to the potent odor of a decomposing body, including cadaverine, putrescine, scatol, indole, and a variety of sulfur-containing compounds. Now, if I did not 
say this correctly. <laughs> let me know because I have no idea. Or don't. Or don't let me yeah. know. I just live your best life with knowing that I don't know how to say those things. Um, although foul smelling to most, these putrid compounds will attract a range of insects. Fluids begin to drain from the corpse via any available orifice, particularly the nose and mouth. The internal organs typically decompose in a particular order, starting with the intestines and ending with the prostate or uterus. Oh. Like, so, <laughs> so stuff leaks out any of Everywhere. the holes. Oh, crazy. And next is post-decay. I mean, I guess it's not really crazy. It's just... <laughs> yeah, it happens. I would say that's life, but it's like, no, that's death. Yeah. And you know what's weird? I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I've had uh, like panic attacks before where I've had like flashes of seeing my body decomposing. Ugh. Yeah. and I, I haven't had that. It's terrifying to me before. It's terrifying. (laughs) Okay, post-decay. That's 10 to 24 days after you have died, everybody. Shit. (laughs) By the time the stage is reached, decomposition slows as most of the flesh has been stripped from the skeleton, though some may remain in denser areas such as the abdomen. The previously strong odors of decay begin to subside, though a cheese-like smell may persist caused by... Butyric acid. Not cheese. Cheesy. Nacho cheese. (laughs) If the body has decayed on soil, the area around the cadaver may show signs of plant death. And last but not least, this is where it gets fun because you're a skeleton. This is the dry (gasps) stage, 24 days or after that's death. An, that's like so short. Yeah, it is. It really is. Just... But you know, there's a lot of factors again that slows it. So, right. but this is just oh, a like... body in open air. Okay, okay, okay. The final stage of decomposition results in the remains consisting primarily of bones, some dried skin, and cartilage. There's typically no odor of decay at this point. So you stop smelling and you're mostly bones, which is nice. That's nice. Yeah. Like skeletons I'm past are my smelly phase. Yeah. Now I'm just a now skeleton. I'm just a beautiful, <laughs> pristine skeleton. Yeah. With a few crowns on my teeth. <laughs> with a gold grill in my mouth. Maybe a fucking grill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so those are the, yeah, those are the stages of decomposition. Interesting. I've also heard of bog bodies where they're like people who were in maybe like a swamp or like a a cold, muddy atmosphere, and their bodies are, like, preserved. And I- <laughs> and I'm just giving Marianne I, faces. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> my face, because I'm just picturing it. My mind a- goes there. When you say something like that, my mind goes there. I can see, like, there was a I'm stare, like, mm. and you were in another world. You were in the bog, like, standing there, I like, was in the bog, looking like, at a dead body. Thank you for that. Watson, you know, like, how the <laughs> fuck did that happen? <laughs> Um, cool. Very, very Do you feel informed? I I feel like I have more questions, which is... Hey, write them down. Yeah, that's... (laughs) There's always more to learn on every subject, and that's the hard part. Why didn't I take notes this whole time? Luckily, (laughs) this is recorded, and I can go back and be like, oh, question this, and question about that. There you go. I have a million. All I have here, and what intrigued me in my research was... The language about decomposition, how people talk about decomposition. So uh, what I will read to you now is from 
Dictionary.com and a thesaurus.com. Wow, look at you. Yeah. And the dictionary and the thesaurus. Well, dictionary.com is one of my most used bookmarks. Really? I fucking, I am like, what does that mean? What does that mean? Oh, I do that too. But I also love Urban Dictionary. Oh, that's another gem. Or I'm like, hey, what's a dirty Sanchez? Oh, I... I can tell you all about it. I can you don't t- need to. I know. I've all already there looked is it up. To know. Yeah. <laughs> like 20 years ago. That's like such an old term. Do you mean the action of Dirty Sanchez or the wrestler Dirty Sanchez? <laughs> oh, what's I up, love Lucha? Him. Lucha's actually Lucha tonight. Baboom in yeah. the house. Oh, I love you, Lucha. I'll be back eventually. So, decompose the definition on dictionary.com. Decompose is a verb. And it means to separate or resolve into constituent parts or elements or disintegrate. Decomposed can also mean to rot or putrefy. There you go. Yep, yep. Words relating to decompose would be to disintegrate, decay, molder, dissolve, fester, which is... I love that word. Everyone's favorite uncle. Fester. Fester, which means to rot. If you have an Uncle Fester, you're probably like 90 years old. Oh, my God. Send us a DM if you're related to someone named Fester and you're our new best friend. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of my favorites. Taint. What? To taint. Oh, okay. To taint. To taint. Well, it just says taint here. (laughs) My mind goes straight to like, you know, a taint. I guess it's just words related to decompose, not words... Oh, your taint smells like decomposing no oh, oh, I, went there. I know it's fucking disgusting or you like cheese when you get that cheese like oh, smell oh god your taint. oh why <laughs> why the things the things we say here do not repeat this if you're in school no go tell <laughs> your teacher work. <laughs> I listen to a podcast about taints taints to spoil to putrefy to resolve to separate to dissect Distill, atomize, or decompound. All I got from that was taints smell like cheese. Taints smell like cheese. Don't quote us on that because maybe someone has a beautifully scented. A flowery taint. A floral taint. (laughs) That's all I really got. This one I'll get, get into another time. So is that it? Are we wrapping it up? So this has been another episode of Death is Everything with Heather and Marianne. You can interact with us on Instagram. It's d.i.e.underscorecast. Follow us there. DM us. And like, subscribe, review, rate, all that fun stuff. Yeah. We're on Spotify. We're on iTunes. Yeah. Wooshka. You know what they say. Oh, what's that, other? We're here for a good time. Not for a long time. Peace out. (laughs)